what an absolute blessing. As you're turning back to Matthew uh, chapter 4, if you weren't here last week or just as a reminder from, from last week, remember the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, there's four Gospels that were written in the Bible. And one may, one may ask, well, why do we need to tell like the story of Jesus four different times? Well, we see four different perspectives from those four different books. We see uh, the book of John is really kind of highlighting the divinity of Christ. And so the book of John doesn't even get into like the, the, the virgin birth, you know, in the manger. He goes right to in the beginning was the word and the word was, um, was uh, you know, uh, with God and, and the word was God. And then the word became flushed. It's just right out of the gate. The book of John is really trying to like, uh, make an impression that, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God. Well, Matthew is really trying to highlight the kingship of Jesus. And so we'll see different kingship themes that, that reoccur throughout this book. And, and it's important that we under, understand his kingship. It's important that we understand uh, how Jesus served as king. Uh, what, an, what an amazing king. First, uh, uh, a, a king who was the son of God and yet willing to serve. He, he's, he's a king who serves. He, he serves in humility. And, and again, we have to understand that, that, that the God-man in humility is born in the flesh. That, that, that Jesus was a, a, a baby, helpless, just a, a baby that you know required the care and the the, the tenderness of, of a mama and a and dad and that that's just unbelievable. We don't we don't really even get to that, right? We just go from Jesus is in the manger and the next thing you know he's thirty years old. Um, but but just think about Emmanuel, God with us, and he's with us serving. He's the king who lays down his power, his authority, um, lays down his life for us. He, he's the king that everybody always wanted and everybody always talks about. Well, if I were king, I would be benevolent and giving and you know sacrificial, but nobody is. Oh, only Jesus was. Only Jesus thought of others first. One of the things that we see in the Old Testament is the Old Testament kings also embodied this, this warrior mentality, right? Where the king will not only be the, the head of the, of the military. I mean, we see this in our presidency. Our president is the, the commander-in-chief, right? Well, he's not the one on the battlefield. He's not the one that's leading the charge. Well, the old kings used to be the ones leading the charge. Where he could turn around and look at the soldiers and say, I'll be the first one. Not you guys go first and we'll see what happens. And if it gets really hairy, then I'll, you know, run away. No, Jesus is a, is a king who not only would be first in battle, but even more importantly, and which is really hard for the people to understand, even hard for us. He was a king who was first to serve. The first to serve, to, to wash feet. What kind of king washes feet. And so in Jesus's humanity that we take for granted, well, Satan didn't take that for granted. He sees this as an opportunity. This is a, an amazing opportunity. And so using temptation is, is a way for Satan to attack the authority of Jesus. And he sees that opening. Uh, last week, there was a, the high point of Jesus's coronated spiritually coronated king uh, with with the baptism of the holy spirit right and then jesus with the great statement in matthew three seventeen, behold the voice from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased well we see this a lot in in history we see this a lot in the world where you have like this this amazing high point right and then all of a sudden, there's like this crazy low point. It's like, well, what happened? How did that happen? And it, and it happens fast. Uh, you guys 
know my love for sports. And there's two like well-known curses in sports that maybe you guys don't know about. One of them is if you've really made it in football, then, then they put you on the, on the next year's Madden. Madden is, you know, like the, the famous football game, um, computer football game, right? And so if you're really, really good, then like you're on the cover next year. But that's also known as the Madden curse. Because usually what happens next year is you have a terrible year statistically. Or what has happened a lot, you get hurt. You get injured. So it's like the Madden curse. There, there was one even before the Madden curse. It was the Sports Illustrated jinx. Where if you were on the cover of Sports Illustrated, it was like, uh-oh, bad things are about to happen. And it seems as though there's this cycle of you have a high point, being coronated as king, having God proclaim that you're his son and, and whom he's well pleased. But, but then this, the, this low point comes, and, and that's kind of what's about to happen in chapter 4. We saw this in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament. In 1 Kings, 6, uh, 1 Kings 18, 16 through 46, we see this amazing standoff where, where the prophets are, are being killed by the king of Israel, Ahab. And so they're scattered and they're fleeing and they're being killed. And, and Ahab is, is serving other gods and serving other idols. And, and, and he's got 450 you know, false prophets and another 400 false prophets of the Asherah. And, and, and if, if you can imagine, the king of Israel has, has false prophets leading the charge. And so we see this epic battle where Elijah is faced off with the 450 and, you know, they go th- and you got to go home and read this because it's just it's spectacular. And, you know, they're dancing around, they're chanting and, you know, calling out for their gods and nothing's happening. Elijah's like, no, louder. You got to sing louder. You, you got to jump higher, clap more, you know, and he's mocking them. And he says, OK, you guys had your chance. Right. And he rolls up his sleeves. But it's not about Elijah. And he's like, OK, get this the altar. And we're going to build it up around the altar and pour water all around the altar like a moat. So much so that the, the water is going to come over the altar. Well, when you're trying to start a fire, that's not usually the way we do it, right? We all start fires here. And we don't like, you know, start with our fire pit by filling it up with water. Well, Elijah does that. And then God rains fire down. And you think, oh, here's Elijah and everybody loves him and he's the greatest and, you know, the prophet of God. And within less than a day, he's in utter despair. This is kind of how, how things go. Israel's delivered from the 10 plagues. They're delivered from the 10 plagues. They're delivered from slavery, the bondage of slavery. They're delivered from Pharaoh's army. They're delivered through the Red Sea. And what do they do next? the molten calf. They're building an altar and sacrificing to another God. Lot's rescued, right? God is raining his judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's rescued. And in the middle of that, before he, the dust even settles, his wife's looking back and turning into a pillar of salt. It's like the high gets really low, really, really fast. Um, Israel and the cycle, the judges, I mean, the, the bottom line is like, there is no easy years, right? There's no easy years. We all like want an easy year, an easy life, a, an easy week. There are no easy years. We have highs and we have lows. This, this is kind of normal. And so how are we prepared for this? Are we prepared for it? Um, today, we're going to see that, that Jesus is prepared and the way he's prepared is the way we should be prepared, the way we can be prepared, the way we must be prepared. And Jesus uses the Bible. He uses the Bible to combat the devil. And Jesus is able to resist the devil in three specific ways in this chapter. First, he rejects physical weakness. He rejects physical weakness. Second, we're going to see how he, he rejects the idea of presuming upon God. He doesn't presume upon God. And then finally, he rejects personal agenda. 
He rejects his own personal agenda. And so back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, you'll notice if you're looking at your Bible and you can see it, that the last thing that happens in chapter three, God's voice, this is my beloved son. This is the son of God. And the first attack that we see Satan is, well, if you're the son of God, I mean, that should have been an open and closed case, right? And so Satan immediately is attacking that. Immediately following the baptism coronation, the challenger attacks. Listen, understand this. Since the beginning, since the opening words of Scripture, Satan is relentless. He is constant. This is, a, is an evil one who attacks humans by nature. This is what he does. Do not take it for granted. Ephesians 6 talks about that. Our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against the principalities of the dark. It's against Satan himself, his way, his, his influence. And, it, and it's a non-stop drip that if you allow it to enter in, will flood your life. Don't think there's an easy day. Don't think there's an easy week. Don't think there's an easy year. He's relentless. And it doesn't matter how high of a point you're at. It's at that point you should be on alert. See, this is why the rich man struggles, right? The rich man struggles because he thinks he has it all. When everything's so great, then, oh, I don't need God. And then when things are bad and when we're struggling, we're on our knees. We're, we're in, in communion with God. That's the way we tend to work. Well, the first way we see Jesus resisting the devil is, is, is he rejects physical weakness, he, he's, he's mentally strong. And we, we see this laid out in that Jesus is led by the Spirit and he goes into the wilderness and, and he's, he's fasting. He, he's fasting. Well, a couple things. First, when we ask, you know, how does one reject the physical? I mean, it's, it's a real thing to, to be injured. It's a real thing to be hungry. Well, it begins with Jesus is... is led by the Spirit. And what I love in Luke 4, 1, in a parallel passage, it says Jesus was full. He was full of the Spirit, and the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Being full of the Spirit, we need to be full of the Spirit. Now, we're, you know, um, for lack of a better term, good old conservative, you know, non-charismatic, non-Spirit-filled Baptists right? No, may it never be. We are as believers by definition supposed to be in the spirit, right? The, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that we saw in Acts. This is the blessing and the gift that the new covenant provides is the, the new heart and the new spirit that's within us. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself says, when I leave you, I'm going to leave you the spirit. No, 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 no. We want to just hold that all off. And it's like as believers, we're like this with the Spirit. No, it's too weird. It's too freaky. There's been people who've abused it. And, and so, yeah, just let's just not talk about it. We're to be in the Spirit. That's our starting point for, for rejecting the devil, for rejecting any kind of physical weakness that comes our way. In fact, he puts himself even closer to that. So... First, we see that while in the desert, Jesus is tempted by the devil. Let's talk about a couple of these things. First, what is temptation? Temptation is, 
in, in the Greek here, it's the idea of to, to be tested. To be tested. Now, to test, to do evil, is different than a test to grow in strength. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is intent. The difference is intent. See, the devil's intent is to tempt you towards wickedness, towards rebellion against God, towards evil. God's intent for trials is for growth, for development of character. The intent changes everything. If your child uh, is disobedient to the point where they require a spanking, the intent of the discipline is everything. If the intent is abuse, if the intent is anger, if the intent is frustration, well, that makes the whole thing abusive. Rather than just a, a pain point to spark alertness in order to correct behavior. Well, this temptation then is by the devil. So by definition, he's trying to get Jesus to do the wrong thing the wrong thing. When Who's the devil? Well, we, we, we know in short, but in the Greek, the diabolos means accuser and slanderer. Sometimes I think we would be better off not saying Satan and the devil, Satan and the devil, right? Because all of a sudden we have these different pictures of, of Satan and the devil, and they're just like caricatures. or And it's like, no, no, no. We'd be better off saying the slanderer, the accuser, the slanderer, the accuser. That way it would be embedded into our brains that there's one out there who's accusing us, right? That, that's what he does. There's one out there who, who slanders. John 12, 31 says he's the, the ruler of the world. Ephesians 2, 2 says he's the, the prince of the power of air. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says he's a God, a God of this world, not the God, but you know, a fake false God of the world. Revelation 12, 9 reminds us he's the serpent of old. That's the serpent in the garden, the deceiver of the world. And then Job 1 reminded us that he walks to and fro doing what? Accusing and attacking. Oh, Job, pretty good guy. How's a good life? Well, what about this? This is what the devil does. This is what he can do to God's best man. Imagine what he could do with us. And so that's the devil. And his goal is to tempt us, to tempt us to do wicked. And so in order to be prepared, Jesus goes against everything that I would do if, if, you know, if I knew I was going to prison in a month, right? What would I do? You know, join MMA, join jujitsu, hit the weight room, all kinds of ways that I got to get prepared to be in physical combat, right? To, to be able to fight off anybody with, with my bare hands. No, not Jesus. He starves himself. What happens when you fast? You, well, you get weak. You're, you're, you're physically tired. You're, you're weak. You're, you're vulnerable. If you've ever fasted, you've, you know, that feeling after a while, it's like, Ooh, man, you get a little, a little wobbly, a little lightheaded. Well, why is this a good thing? Well, it, it mentally prepares you. It, it puts you in a physical state where you know it all. Ooh, I'm, I'm hungry. Oh, my stomach's growling. I'm fasting. Why am I fasting? I'm fasting because of this. And it put, it's like a, a little internal alarm clock. Okay, when I'm fasting, I go into deep prayer. That's what Jesus did in Mark 14, 38. To be ready, he would prepare himself by, by praying that he would not come in to temptation. Oh, that's interesting. So Jesus didn't start doing a bunch of, you know, ab crunches and, and push-ups to battle Satan in the desert. He, that's not what he does to, to fight temptation. He goes into a, a, a spiritual place. He rejects the whole idea of this, the physical, and he goes into the spiritual. Uh, to prepare for battle, he fasts. He's in deep contemplation and prayer. That's how he's mentally prepared. I was listening to the story this week about Navy SEALs and, you know, they're off the coast of, of California and San Clemente and they, they do their training there. And one of the things that happens is they have this like midnight swim. 
It's like at two in the morning and it's really far and it's really hard. And the only really issue between getting from the island to the shore is well, the sharks that, you know, swim around in there. No big deal. Now, the truth is these sharks aren't really the kind of sharks that usually attack. I mean, but they can, they, you know, so they kind of know this, but when you're the one in the water and you're facing, you know, the shark, you, that's kind of scary. And so they train them, they prepare them, they get them mentally prepared for, for the physical thing that's about to come because as they're swimming, they're going to get tired and exhausted and mentally weak. And they're just, they're, they're in a, in a vulnerable time. They said, well, first of all, if they come, just, you know, be still. Because if, if you try to swim away, well, that just excites them and, you know, they want to go after you. The second thing is if they are coming after you, you know what you do? And you guys can take notes of this in case you're ever swimming with sharks. You punch them in the nose. It's like, that's it. Pretty, pretty easy. Um, tigers, you know, this is learning how to fight off deadly animals morning tigers they won't attack you if if you see them first so if they think they got you and are and are sneaking up on you then they'll attack so if you see them just jump and go i see you and then they won't attack you well see this is the idea of kind of being like game ready right we we, we get game ready for these things we we get prepared for these things how are you getting game ready and prepared for the devil He's out there. He exists. Or do you think you're going to punch him in the nose? Do you think that's the strategy? Well, that's not what God says. Um, what do we see here? And the tempter came to Jesus and said, well, look, if, if you're the son of God, well, then command these stones to be bread. I know you're hungry. It says here that, you know, after 40 days, 40 nights, he became hungry. Why? Because this kind of fast in Luke 4, 2 says Jesus ate nothing for the 40 days. So it's been 40 days. He hasn't had any food. Okay. He's hungry. The devil knows he's hungry. So the challenge is, well, well, look, if you're you know part of the triune Godhead, like you say it, well, then prove it, prove it, prove it to me. Like, like who's the devil that Jesus has to prove it to him. But that's always the question, right? It's you got to prove it my way. If you've ever done any evangelism or you're sharing the Lord with somebody, it's like, they, they always want to prove it my way. You know, well, if God could do this, you know, well, it, why is there evil in the world? Well, why did this? They, it's always on, on their terms, right? And so Jesus isn't going to, isn't going to play this game. If you're the son of God, then command these stones to become bread. Jesus said, it is written. His answer, it is written. Now think about that for a second. Of all the things to combat back with, of all the smart aleck answers, of all the brave answers, of all the, the explanations, because isn't that what we do constantly? We're trying to explain things to people who are denying Christ and rejecting the gospel and don't want to hear it. And they make some kind of snarky comment. And then we're trying to combat the snarky comment with kind of a, a pseudo another snarky combat uh, um, comment. And so it's like, well, you know what the Bible says, you know what scripture says it is written. This isn't me. Do you know what God says about this? That's how Jesus answers. And he says, man shall not live on bread alone. I don't care about my physical needs. I'm in the desert fasting by my choice. This is my choice. And Jesus says, I, man, do you, you think we only live by bread alone? Your whole presupposition about my needs, my wants, my desires is off. But on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, I, I, I live off of God's word. That's what Jesus says. That's what's most important. What God says is what counts. Not, not what you say. You think I'm hungry? God will take care of me. You, you, you think I need more? God will protect me. See, the, the, it's an entirely different mindset that says I'm dependent on 
on God. Well, how are we dependent on God? Well, we're really dependent on God's word because we don't know God without God's word. So really it's all one and the same. Not our worldly desires and needs. We, we kind of get our minds right. We, we spend way too much time sitting around gawking and complaining about the exact same thing the world gawks and complains about. It, think about that. Um, are, are we correctly understanding what our battle is, what our struggle is, and, and, and instead of being caught up in the world? We're, we're, we're getting caught in like this, this political trap mindset, which my concern, my, all my concerns just happen to be the exact same concerns as this party line. And, and my concerns will, will be solved by, by these politicians who represent this party line. And all my concerns are what this guy can do about this stuff. It's like, if I had a whiteboard, it's like the whole thing, you're on the wrong page. This isn't what you're supposed to be focused on at all. You're allowing the influence of all this to drive and to dictate your mind. And so you, they tell you, you're supposed to be worried about what? The climate catastrophe. You're supposed to be in utter fear right now about that. You're supposed to be misunderstanding of what a man and a woman is. See, they get you all confused with all that stuff. Meanwhile, the devil is wiggling his way into your life. And you get so frustrated and concerned about that that you forget that, you know, hey, look, these are people who are lost and misguided. These are actually people who are seeking, who are seeking the truth, who are seeking hope. They're just on the wrong page. That's why we're here to help them with that. I'm glad you have a concern. L let me tell you what it is written, what God says about that. Think about that as an approach. So look, we know that, and, and Jesus knows, and why can Jesus say that and reject the, the physical need? Because he knows God's word. And it's like, you know what I remember? I remember this group of Israelites who are wandering in the, around in the desert for 40 years, and God rained down manna and quail out of the sky. Huh. So if God wants me to live and survive and not starve, he can rain manna and quail out of the sky for me too. Um, he could put a ram in the thicket and catch it so I could eat it. He could turn manna and or he could turn empty baskets into and to feed five and four thousand people with fish and loaves. See, my God is an awesome God, and so if I Matthew six thirty three, if I seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then I don't have to worry about the physical needs, and that's exactly where Jesus is at. Exactly where he's at. So the first way he resists the devil is it, his mind isn't even on the like the the physical weakness and the needs. It's on the spiritual, and his gear is is set towards. Well, what does God say? What is written? And that's his first step. So we don't fret over whatever this earthly things going on. Well, the second way Jesus resists the devil is he rejects this presumption, this presuming on God. He, he, he rejects that whole mindset. How so? Verse 5 and 7. Then, then, remember the devil's relentless. He keeps coming. Then the devil took him into the holy city and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, Still challenging it. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Did I mention that Satan is relentless? See, again, we get this idea of, well, you know, I, I was tempted over this, you know, three times and, you know, won't be a problem. It's over. And then it happens again and again. If you think about the thing that you're struggling with, the thing that you're tempted with the most today that you conquered yesterday, you know what you're probably going to be tempted with today and tomorrow and the next day? That same thing. Why? Because Satan is relentless and he'll 
come at you with the same statement, if you're the son of God. But now he'll twist it just a little bit, right? Um, he'll twist it. And so he, he shifts the place. He shifts the situation from, from, from you know, just being there with Jesus to now he takes him to this, this holy city, this tallest and, and most prominent spot in the city. Um, Josephus says that, you know, on, on the temple are these, you know, porticos or kind of like gables that would be up there. And so most likely that would have been the, the place that would have overlooked and, and you could see the whole Kadron Valley, right? It's about 450 feet up. And, and so Satan sets up this, this, this setting and he sets up a, again, using a logical fallacy. The straw man argument. Well, if, what if? Let's let's hypothetically create a situation of if God's so so mighty, can he make a rock so big that he can't lift it, right? It's like, you know, we, we hear the games that people play all the time with that kind of nonsense. And so here's Satan saying, Well, if you're the son of God, well then just throw yourself down. Throw yourself down and and a team of angels will come and get you. Now, look at what he does. Look at what he does. And this should give you pause. Jesus says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written. What did Jesus say? For it is written. Let me quote you a couple verses. What does the devil say now? Let me quote you a couple verses. By the way, quick question. Uh, this is a test. Okay, this is the test. Psalm 91, Psalm 91, verse 11. Who knows it? You know who knows it? Satan knows it. The devil knows it. Now think about that for a second. The devil knows scripture? Yeah. He knows it. He knows it so well, he knows how to twist it and manipulate it. Did God really say He's like that lawyer, right? Every little word, every little phrase. You know, you're in front of all the people and all the jury. Did God really say this? This is how Satan is. And he quotes scripture, Psalm 91. And he says, he will give his angels charge over you. Look, I know what the Bible says. And I know that if you throw yourself down, that, that, that they, they will they will catch you. you know, your foot won't even strike the ground if you're the son of God. And so he sets up again this, this straw man hypothetical question that really if, if Jesus answers it the wrong way, it's like, you know, he, he loses the battle of the wits, right? Because Jesus allows himself to go over and then saves himself. You know, it's like, well, then you didn't trust God, Right? And if he goes down and he dies, then it's like, well, see, you're not the son of God. And so it's, it's a losing proposition, except that Jesus is smarter than the devil. And he comes back over the top, Jesus, verse 4. On the other hand, it is written, you shall not play games with God. Well, that's my version. It says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus comes back. We don't presume upon God. We don't expect God to do things the way we want him to do him. We don't call God's bluff. We, we, we don't make demands and dictate to God and expect him to say, look, um, I'm going to I'm going to go witness in bars because I used to struggle with drinking and, and so I know those people need Jesus. So I'm going to go to bars to witness to them. Who told you to do that? Nobody told you to do that. That's just you doing that. But you're going to presume that God is going to give you the strength to not be tempted. Th that, that's on you. Don't, don't presume that God's just going to get you out of your, your sin. I'm going to do everything leading up to that sin. And then God miraculously, it. He'll stop me and save me from sinning. No, you stop yourself from being in that position, in that place. 
Don't expect God. Don't presume upon God that he's going to catch you. There's a a story about this this island. It's an island that exists today, the North Sentinel Natives. Maybe you guys have heard of it. It's this island in the Indian Ocean, and and it's it's not inhabited by people. There's no electricity. They're all, you know, in loincloths and villagers, and, and they've tried to send people in. What happens when you go in there? They kill you. And so, you know, they've dropped like supplies down there, tried to make nice, nice, doesn't matter. They don't know who we are. They don't know what we are. They go out there and they have helicopters and they're, they got video of them throwing spears at the helicopters. It's crazy. Well, you know, this one young man, noble young man, it's like, they need Jesus. I'm going to be the missionary to the North Sentinel people. He's presuming upon God's protection that he's going to go on the island and save those people. You know what happened? He's dead. We don't presume upon God. We don't put God in like this position. You know, I'm going to go into the heart of the Muslim, you know, world and, you know, where the Taliban live and hang out. I'm going to go barbecue with them. And, and you know, Jesus will he'll, he'll, he'll put a hedge of thorns around me and, and protect me. You don't know that. Don't presume upon God. Jesus doesn't presume upon God. In Acts 19.15, there, there's this evil spirit and this, this guy goes up to the evil spirit. He's like, I'm going to cast you out, right? I stomp on you, Jesus, or your know, devil. I'm st- and, and the demon looks at him and goes, who are you? I'm like, I know Jesus. What? Dream? Yeah, I don't know you. I know Paul. I've heard of Paul. I never heard of Dream. Stomp on this. And the devil or the, the demon beats him up. Look, the devil is, is an admirable foe. He's clever. He'll throw out these things. Well, what if? Let's contemplate this. Just suppose. And he adds these little clever twists, right? This one of the clever twists that we see is this idea of over-sensationalism, right? Matthew 24, 24. We've seen this from the beginning that, you know, the, the, the people crowd, show me, show me a miracle, show me a healing, and I'll believe. That's just, again, one of Satan's lies and one of his tools of, of presuming upon God and said, look, if you show me, well, then we'll all believe. Look, people have seen the miraculous miracles of God. If you're not sure, let me recommend a book to you. Let me recommend a historical book that has documented thousands of miracles, thousands of impossibilities of, of ways that God has, has been on earth and, and man has seen this and still rejects it. They still reject it. That's not the issue. The devil is very, very clear. He loves this, this fake news idea of let's have a debate and let's talk about these, you know, let me interview you on my show and, and we'll have an honest conversation. The whole, the whole show is built for, for the host to use logical fallacies to entrap the guest to prove a point that the host is trying to spread, not trying to figure out what's right or wrong. That's the last thing on their mind. That's exactly how Satan is. It's exactly how it is. And if you show him, then he'll just come up with a different excuse. Well, the third way we see Jesus resisting the devil is he rejects personal agendas. Personal agendas. This is a hard one for us. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. So he figures, you know, the, the, the pinnacle on the building wasn't high enough. We're going to go higher because that's, that's the problem. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things will I give to you. And here's the, the real point. If you fall down and worship me. Now, you may not have understood this, but the whole point of Verse 3, the tempter coming and saying, if you're the Son of God, I command these stones to become bread was so that Jesus would actually worship the devil. What? That, that, how are you making that logical leap? It's the same concept of the garden. It's just a piece of fruit. 
You hungry? Eat it. It's good. It's tasty. Follow my words. Follow my way. Be on my team. And let's have some fruit. Let's have some bread. You're hungry. What you've done unwittingly is now you just are serving a different master because that's his whole goal. Don't trust God. Trust me. Don't trust God. You know, look, this whole concept of throwing yourself down, it's all a ruse. The devil wants you to worship him. By default, if you don't worship God, you're worshiping him. If you worship God and other gods, right? Polytheism, well, you're worshiping him. If you worship him and other, you know, crazy religions, then you're worshiping. See, he wins every single way other than the one way. There's only one way to the Father, that's through the Son. Every other road, every other bridge, every other trail is worshiping the devil. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. So he says, look, I'm going to give you all the things. He, he tries to offer everything. You ever hear the, the phrase, soul, my soul to the devil? This is the concept. The devil, is, whatever it is you want. Whatever you you want sports, I'll give you sports. You want music, I'll give you music. You want a nice big family, I'll give you a nice big family. You want a, a giant house, I'll give you a giant house. You want sports cars, I'll give you sports cars. W whatever you want, you name it. I, I'm offering it to you. See, these are personal agendas. These are the personal things that 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 we desire, that we want. And every single one of us in this room have different things, and unfortunately being the good Americans that we are, we have these, these amazing dreams, right? The American dream. The American dream is, well, whatever your dream is and, and you can do it. And that's, that's important. And personal peace, pursue your personal peace and then affluence and get more and more and more of it. Whatever it is that you like, then do it to its extreme. That's the American way, right? It's the personal agenda, the constant pursuit of the personal agenda. And so we go to churches that will tell us the same thing, that you're all going to be rich, that you're all going to be prosperous, that you're never going to suffer because we have Jesus, even though the Bible doesn't say that at all. But it appeals to the tickling of the ear. It appeals to our personal agenda. We don't ever want to be hungry. We want to be fat and happy. We don't ever want to go without. In fact, we want even more. What are you offering? What are you offering? And all of that, in its own way, then, undermines God. So Satan's cry is, follow me. Follow me. <clears throat> Don't deny yourself. Praise yourself. Don't take up your own cross. We don't need a cross. Do whatever you want. Just follow me. It's the complete opposite of Matthew 16, 24. Complete opposite. This is one of the things, and this is what's crazy, the, the whole idea with social media, right? The, the Tiki Talk and the Instagram and the Facebook and all that stuff. The idea is the, the alluring into it, the enticement that in, it, in this so cleverly destructive way, it's not about just friendships and connecting and pictures. It's about feeding your self-interest. The people who design this know this. The people who design these programs don't let their kids on it. Think about that for a second. It's not because they think they designed in and of itself that the chocolate cake is evil and bad, but what they've come to find out and learn that, that the kids are worshiping the chocolate cake, eating too much of it, and it's killing them, so they don't want their kids eating the chocolate cake. That's the same concept with the social media, except that what it's doing is it's fulfilling this personal agenda, personal self-interest, and it just keeps feeding your own personal fantasies and fulfilling your own lusts. It's a very diabolical strategy. And so we have to understand, look, we're, we, 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 we tend to be weak. 
just just confess it in a minute. I, I can. I can be weak. I can make wrong decisions, have personal agendas. I'm, I'm very susceptible when it comes to things with my, my kids and my family. We see examples. Abraham and Sarah promised to, you know, have kids, to have, you know, a ton of kids. And so the easy way, let's have a baby with Hagar. Cain and Abel, you know, all right, God commands them to, to give a sacrifice. And Cain doesn't want to give it the way God has instructed. He thinks he's got a better way to sacrifice. His way, the easy way. David sees Bathsheba and, you know, sees the, the, the young girl and decides, you know what? I want her. He'll take the easy path. I want it. Give it to me. Ananias and Sapphira, they're giving to the church. They're selling their house, a house for the church. And in the lion deception, they give a false number. Think about that. How crazy that is to be generous enough to give wealth, but stingy and selfish enough to lie about it. Again, another easy path to get the glory. Where we see God's way, God's way is usually a hard way. God's way is not easy. David stands before Goliath, the biggest, baddest dude in the land. But he's blaspheming God. He's like, we can't have this. And he takes the hard way, putting his own life on the line. Daniel in the lion's den, right? I'm not rejecting my God. I'm not turning from my God. Put me in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, again, we're not going to deny our God. You can put us in the fiery pit. God is able, the hard way. See, we have to reject our personal agendas. Jesus rejects the personal agenda of, I'm God, I'm the Son of God, and you're trying to challenge me by enticing me with the things of the world. Utterly, completely rejects that. And so his model and blueprint again is it is written. It is written. This is what God says. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. He goes back to Deuteronomy. He goes back to the Shema. The Lord our God is one. Beside him there is no other. You shall serve him, the Lord your God, and serve him only. Period exclamation point, game over. There's no equivocation. There's no debate. It is written. If you can't handle it, then get out. Be gone. James 4, 7 gives us this great encouragement. Resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil with God's word and you've just disarmed him. You've just put out the fire. You've just diffused him. He cannot defeat God's word. He can't defeat God's word. You don't defeat Satan with your muscles. You don't defeat him with like your strong willpower. I can handle it, right? No, you defeat him by being in the spirit. How are you in the spirit, not in the flesh? Because you're in the word. You know God's word. It oozes out of you. It drips from your body. You know what God's word is. So you can quote it and you can live it. The cool thing about Jesus, the cool thing about when we look at the difference between Jesus and the devil is, you know, Jesus is constantly over delivering. You know, I mentioned that he's the king that, that he's the king that sacrifices. He's the king that will end up dying for his people. He's the king that will forgive his people. He's the king that has mercy for people and gives grace and saves and then adopts his people and then gives them an inheritance. I mean, Jesus just gives in such ways that are you just can't even conceive of how amazing he is, how amazing God's love. God so loved us that he sent us his son. You, you want to question God's love? He loved us so much. He sent us his son. He loved us so much. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. In transition of that, or in, in contrast to that, is the devil. There, there was a crazy movie of Dudley Moore in the 60s or 70s. I don't know. It was older. And they've, they've made remakes of it. It was this, the movie concept was the devil comes to the earth and gives this poor, you know, schlep, seven wishes, seven, not three, seven. 
makes no qualms. I'm the devil. I am the devil. Gives a big old giant contract like this, right? That basically says you're selling your soul to the devil. But you get these seven wishes. And, and in this movie, the devil then, it's all a trick. It's all a big giant lie. So, you know, the, the guy says, well, you know, I want to be wealthy. Perfect. He's wealthy. He wakes up the next day and he's, a, he's wealthy and the helicopters come and the cops come. Why? Well, because he's actually a drug lord and, you know, the, the cops have caught up with him or get ready to put him in, in prison. Um, you know, well, he's wealthy, but he's, you know, a drug lord. That's how he became wealthy. And now he's going to be in prison. So he kind of snaps his fingers. Now he's back with the devil. Okay, what's the next wish? Uh, well, you know what? I want to be like a, 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 an athletic superstar. You know, I want to be an athlete. So great, you know, boom, he's an athlete. And he's next thing you know, he wakes up. He's th this great athlete. And he performs and breaks all these records. And they go to interview him at the, at, at the interview. And he's dumb as dirt. He, he can't even answer the interview questions. And in the middle of the interview, he's like, uh, oh, man. Because he realizes, like, I can't live like this. I'm too stupid to even answer questions. So back to the devil. And, you know, next thing you know, I want the most beautiful woman in the world. He gets the most beautiful girl in the world. You know, everything's wonderful except that she has a, you know, a boyfriend and, you know, cheats on him. This is what the devil does. He promises the world. And, and it's a trick and it's a deception. It's just a deception. So the next two weeks, um, we're going to look at how we repent, how we, we apply this combat of the devil, because the devil is relentless. The devil is coming after us, and the devil has his tricks. He will, 1 John 2, uh, 16 says, you know, he is going to lay out the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Or these are going to be like the three pillars that he's constantly going to be laying at our feet, and they... they come to fruition in different ways, depending on who you are and what your weakness is. But I want you to walk away with this today. Psalm 119.11. Psalm 119.11. David says, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart. We're called to hide God's word in our heart. Psalm 1 says it so beautifully. Do not... You know, walk in the path of the sinner, stand in the way of the sinner, sit in the seat of mockers. But your delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, you meditate day and night. Why? So that you will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which will yield its fruit in season. You will be strong enough to hold off the storms. But you got to meditate on God's word day and night. You've got to hide his word in your heart. Why? The second part of Psalm 119.11, so that you might not sin. This is how we fight temptation. This is how we fight the devil. This is how we're sin fighters, by putting God's word in our heart. And so our response then, our defense, our ready defense is, it is written. But we got to know what's written. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.